0: Luke chapter 12, verses 1 through 7. In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more they can do. But I warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after he has killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And yet not one of them is forgotten before God. Why even the hairs of your head Are all numbered, fear not. Are you more, are you of more value? Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. So today's sermon is on hell, which is a heavy subject. So I thought we might start with something a little less heavy. So in this passage, there is an explicit warning. Jesus is warning us against worrying or fearing against the wrong things or fearing the wrong things and desperately warning us to fear what is worthy of our fear, what is right for us to fear, which is the judgment of God and hell. Now, we live in a world, in a culture that warns about everything, And when you start paying attention, you will see warnings on and about almost everything you do every day of your life. Some of them helpful, some of them absolutely ridiculous. So just in case you didn't know, I wanted you to be aware of some things out there that you need to be warned about. If maybe in your household you have a Kellogg's cereal bowl, you need to be warned. Did you know that this bowl is to be only used for children eight years and up? Some of you have been using it for your preschooler. Shame on you. It should only be used with adult supervision. You should be sitting right there beside the bowl when it is used. It should be inspected before each use. It may break if dropped. Did you know that? And this is one that I thought would have needed to go unsaid, but it is on the, on the bowl. It must be washed before each use. Be warned. If you have a Hubosh washing machine, you need to be warned. The warning is do not put any person in this washing machine, no matter how dirty and nasty they are. If by chance you go to the store today and you have a W.H. Collins vanishing fabric marker, you need to be warned. Do not use the vanishing marker, that's the key phrase there, to sign checks or any legal documents. If you go to Staples and you buy a Staples brand letter opener, you need to be warned. Because on the warning sign it says, you must wear safety glasses before opening your letters. If in your tool shed you have a Dremel tool, be warned. Your Dremel tool, no matter how versatile the different attachments are, this tool should not be used as a dental drill or for any medical procedure. It's good to know. (laughs) This is my favorite because we've had these. Some of you do too. If you've had a Razor scooter, a little scooter that kids enjoy, you need to be warned. Printed right there on the handlebar, it says, This scooter moves when used. (laughs) You need to know that. (laughs) If you have a New Holland loader, a tractor with a front end scoop on it, you need to be warned avoid death, <laughs> which I think would sort of apply to anything you're doing, but sure. <laughs> if you have in your shed uh, w- MDW Outdoor Group's Fox and Bobcat urine powder, now I don't know what you use that for, by the way, but if that's something you use and you need, be warned, this product is not for human consumption. If you have a chainsaw, be warned. You should not hold the chainsaw by the cutting chain or that will happen to your fingers. And then lastly, if you have a hair dryer, be warned. You should not dry your hair with this dryer while you are sleeping. (laughs) Though I would suggest that if you were able to do that, that'd be pretty cool to watch. I'd like to just see how that happens. Now, if we're being critical, a critical response to all these ridiculous warnings might be to point out that we live in a overly litigious society, and that uh, we, we are a people who lack personal responsibility, that all these warnings should have gone without saying, and that people ought to just take personal responsibility and deal with those things. If we were to be more gracious toward these warnings, we, we might recognize that there is a God-created desire in each of us to warn others of known dangers so that they too— Will not suffer the, the consequence. I assume, out of all of those warnings, that somebody did that, and therefore the companies felt a need to warn future users of their products not to do it as well. In our passage today, Jesus is being confronted by the hypocritical Pharisees. And he uses this moment to speak into the lives of his disciples and I think into our lives today to warn them and to warn us against fearing man when they should be fearing God. Fearing man is natural. Every man, woman, boy, and girl in this room today does not need to be taught, lectured, or encouraged to fear man. You do that all on your own, but dear friends, I think we have a dearth of a great, a great need for the fear of God, and so this morning, I want to speak to you about what it means to fear God, and, and I wanna divide this passage in these ways. Number one, I wanna talk about how nothing is hidden from God. Now, if, if there's anything that'll strike fear into your heart, This is it, that nothing is hidden from God and everything will be exposed. Secondly, that the call here is to fear the judgment of God, which is eternal, more than even physical death, which is just temporary. And then lastly, the good word, that those who know Jesus who have been redeemed by his blood, we rejoice in God's perfect judgment. And I hope to explain how that works as we come to the conclusion today. But let's begin with where Jesus begins in verses 1, 2, and 3 with nothing is hidden from God. Let's look again to what he says. Speaking to the Pharisees, and, and, and let's, let's do the context. He's speaking about people who seemed like they were righteous and right and had things correct in their lives. And Jesus says about them, and he warns his disciples, he says, Dear friends, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Verse 2 Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on housetops. Dear friends, what impresses man does not and never fools God. What impresses man does not fool God. So, we talked about that the context of this passage is that the Pharisees and scribes were continually pressing and provoking Jesus and they were attempting to catch him in something that, they might, that he might say that they could use to accuse him or discredit him. And so in this moment, he's teaching his disciples this eternally valuable lesson. Listen, that looks scary. These Pharisees and scribes look like they've got the power and the authority. Don't fear them. Fear the one who really judges. Fear the one who exposes all things. Now, let's be honest. The Pharisees and the scribes, they looked righteous. Outwardly, they had the appearance of righteousness. In fact, I believe that most of the community recognized them as the leaders, experts, and examples of righteousness. In fact, you might even say that many Jewish mothers would have been proud if their their children grew up to become Pharisees. That's my son, the Pharisee. Aren't you impressed with him? But friends, man can only judge the outward appearance. We cannot know what is the uh, what is. Um, we, we can only know what is externally presented, but we cannot know what truly represents the heart. And as a result of that, we are often fooled by outward appearance. You know, the reality is if you, if you live long enough, you will have someone in your life who you thought was walking with Jesus, faithfully obedient to the Word of God, that will be revealed was in fact not. It is heartbreaking. It rips at something deep in our soul because it, it reminds us again that we are totally dependent on the outward appearance. We cannot know the heart of another person. But dear friends, let's be clear. We may not know the heart, but God knows our heart and is not fooled by our outward appearance. Today, you may be considered the most righteous, upright person who follows Jesus with every breath. But Jesus knows the truth of your heart. He knows where your allegiance is. He knows whether or not the outward appearance is a true representative of the reality of your heart. Jesus identifies the hypocrisy as a corrupting um, leaven or sin in the Pharisees. Now, all the way throughout scripture, leaven is used. Now, leaven's what makes bread puff up. And it's it's often used as 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 a symbol for either sin or something that corrupts, because a little leaven corrupts the whole lump of dough. And so Jesus identifies the sin, the corrupting element in the Pharisees' lives as hypocrisy. In other words, they fear how man judged them more than they are concerned about how God judges them. And their fear of man has led them to lie more and more. They have even believed their own lie about their own righteousness, causing them at this moment to reject Jesus. In other words, they're relying on the lie that they're right before God, even while they're denying and rejecting the Son of God. Friends, listen to me. For the scribes and for the Pharisees and for every one of us sitting in this room, God sees perfectly who you are and is not fooled by your outward appearance or even the assessment of others about how good or righteous you are. And Jesus takes it even a step further. In verse 2 and 3, he says, and not only does God know, but everything will be exposed. Not only is God not fooled by our outward appearance, but he will reveal everything about who you are. Now, can we be honest with one another? I don't need an amen here. You can just nod quietly in your own heart. This is terrifying. Every thought you have ever had will be revealed. Every action that you've ever done will be made known. What you have done in secret will be exposed for all to see. What you have whispered will be amplified. What you have covered up will be exposed. That's terrifying. It's terrifying. You and I naturally hide the parts of our lives that are ugly, that are shameful, that are embarrassing, even the parts of our lives that are unflattering, but we certainly hide the parts of our life that are sinful. I suspect that most of you, when you went into Sunday school this morning, most of your Sunday school classes probably had a time of prayer. And you asked for prayer concerns and I'm pretty confident that not a single one of our Sunday school classes anybody raised their hand and said, "Let me tell you about the sin that I've been participating in this week that I'm so heartbroken over and want you to pray for me that I would have victory over." Anybody pray that way this morning? No, in fact what we actually did is while we were walking up and down the hallways today and people saw you and they asked you how you were doing, you looked at them with a straight face and smiled in their eyeballs and said, "Oh, I'm doing great. How are you doing?" even if your life this week has been a total wreck. Hypocrites hide certain things depending on what situation they are in. You might speak one way at work, then differently at home. You might behave differently at church than with friends. The weakness of hypocrisy is that it cannot be maintained. Hypocrisy, or the outward appearance of righteousness, only seems to have value until the light of God reveals its worthlessness and weakness. Here's the reality the light of God not only reveals the truth of God, but it also exposes the truth of who you and I are. It'll reveal the wickedness in our own hearts, it will expose. The sin of our own lives now I said that is a terrifying thought and the admonition here is the, the, the word here to respond to that is put your hope only in the blood of Jesus the thought of having everything exposed is rightly terrifying to those who do not know Jesus If you don't know Jesus, in fact, for all of us, there are things in our lives we don't want the whole world to know. (laughs) There are thoughts that have run through your brain that, by God's grace, have not come out of your mouth that you don't want anybody to know. There are things that you have done that you don't want anybody to know. The thought of being exposed like that is terrifying in, 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 every, in everybody's life, but to those who don't know Jesus, this is even more so terrifying because there is hope in the blood of Jesus. Let me explain to you how. You see, all those who are redeemed by the blood of Jesus will also be exposed. But we will be exposed in the righteousness of Jesus. We'll be exposed that we've been forgiven by the blood of Jesus. We'll be exposed that we have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. We'll be exposed and that we have been made clean and pure by the blood of Jesus. The most amazing testimony of the gospel is that when all is known and all is revealed and all is exposed, those who've been washed by the blood of Jesus will be exposed as those who've been clean, washed, redeemed and atoned for and welcomed into the presence of God because of Jesus not because of what they've done. The one who fears man will put their hope in the feeble efforts of hypocrisy and works but when confronted by the light of God will be revealed to be shamefully wicked. The redeemed who put their hope in Jesus and in the blood of Jesus will have their sin exposed by the light of God Will rejoice that every sinful act has been covered by the perfect atoning blood of Jesus. Swine Psalm 51 says, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Dear friends, nothing will be hidden before the glory of God. So then Jesus gives a warning. This is the heart of the word I want to share with you this morning, and the warning is this. Fear the judgment of God more than death. Look with me in verses four and five. Jesus says, I tell you, my friends, he's not speaking here to enemies, he's speaking here to his disciples. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more they can do. But I warn you whom to fear, fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. What Jesus is saying there is that physical death is limited to the physical. Now, that may seem over-simplistic, but I think it needs to be understood What is more fear-inducing than the fear of death? That fear drives so much of the things of our lives. It drives much of our decision-making. But second, and I think related to, is the fear of man. Let me explain. I say that the fear of man is related to the fear of death because we fear that man can have power over us unto death, or at least over devastating outcomes that feel like death. So we fear man that ultimately that man might be able to take our lives. We, we fear man that somehow the, the authority of man might be able to take away our jobs or our livelihood or limit our career opportunities or ruin our reputation or destroy our credibility. Fear of man's ability to bring these sufferings on us can cause you to fear man more than God. I want to tell you something. I think this is the heart of what we're struggling with today. It's the fear of man over the fear of God. I have heard it expressed outwardly without shame. Some believers saying they feared the ones who could take away their job more than they feared being obedient to God who might cause them to act in a way that they would lose their job. One commentator right? he said, many of the scribes and Pharisees were more concerned about reputation than character what people thought about them than what god knew about them but here jesus points out the great limitation of the power of man this is it the power of man is temporary and it's limited to the physical yes men can take away your job Yes, listen, in in the context, cultural context we're living in right now, your reputation can be ruined. Yes, such animus can be brought towards you today that you might not be able to continue in your career, much less advance in your career. And yes, today, most ultimate of ultimate, men can take your life. The worst thing man can do is to take your life. But this is Jesus' point. But beyond that, man has no authority. Now, you might say, well, Pastor, that's still a big deal. Yes, it's a big deal. But remember, the Scripture says our lives are but a mist. In other words, very brief in view of and in comparison to eternity. Eternity. It is not that the loss of your life is not frightening. It certainly is. But compared to eternity, it is foolish to submit to the judgment of man to save your temporary physical life and reject the authority of God and lose your eternal life. Jim Elliott, missionary to Ecuador in the 1950s, wrote in his journal, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Physical death is bad, but it's not eternal. Jesus teaches us, do not forfeit eternal life in heaven for the fleeting and temporary pleasing of others who have no authority over your soul. Physical death is limited to the physical, but spiritual death, dear friends, is eternal. Look at verse 5. But I warn you whom to fear. These are the words of Jesus saying to you, this is where you ought to have proper and right fear. I'm telling you who to fear. Fear him who after he is killed has authority cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Now the only one who has authority over your spiritual life is God in heaven. And Jesus is saying that's where your fear ought to be. Don't fear the the hypocritical Pharisees. Their fake righteousness will be exposed. Don't fear man who only has authority over the temporary, even maybe over your life, but no more. Fear him who after your life is no more on this world has authority over eternal life in eternity. Spiritual death is eternal. We should fear the consequences of hell. Hell. I want to make this point as plain as I possibly can. In sin, everyone rightly deserves to receive the full wrath of God and spend eternity separated from God in hell. Romans 3:23 says, "For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God." In other words, it's not hell's not reserved for the bad people? Hell is the right place for all people. Romans six twenty three. what we preached from last Sunday, the wages of sin is death. The cost of that sin, that all have sinned, is to be separated from God for eternity. Jesus, speaking in Luke chapter 13, says, I tell you, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. The great theologian, the American theologian, but preaching maybe his most well-known sermon. Jonathan Edwards, in in Sinners in the Hands of the Angry God, wrote these words. He said, Oh, sinner, consider the fearful danger you are in. It is a great furnace of wrath, a wide and bottomless pit full of the fire of wrath that you are held over in the hand of that God whose wrath is provoked and incensed as much against you as against many of the damned in hell. You hang by a slender thread with the flames of divine wrath flashing about it and ready every moment to singe it and burn it asunder and you have no interest in a mediator and nothing to lay hold of to save yourself nothing to keep off the flames of wrath nothing of your own nothing that you have that you ever have done nothing you can do to induce God to spare you one moment. Notice in this short verse, Jesus uses the word fear three times. In fact, he even repeats himself twice here when he says, fear him, speaking about where should your attention be? Move it off the weakness of man, but fear God who has authority over your eternal soul. Friends, there is nothing greater or worthy of our fear than the eternal judgment of the living God. Now, here's what I know to be true. What you fear drives what you give attention to. Proverbs 29 says, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts the Lord is safe. Wiersbe writes, the fear of God is the fear that conquers all other fears, for the person who truly fears God need fear nothing else, what you fear determines what you give attention to, what you give effort to, what you are concerned about, and what you think about. There's so much that's captured our attention these days. We want our children to be successful in school. We want to achieve, and this is not just for middle schoolers, this is for grown ups too. too. We want to achieve reputation and a good reputation and popularity amongst our peers. We want to advance in our careers. We want to have sufficient, abundant retirement savings. If you're younger, you want to develop athletic ability. If you're older, you just want to keep what ability you have. You want to perform well in your hobbies to the impression of others. You want to have the toys that others admire. That's true for middle schoolers. It's true for 45-year-old men. And the reality of it is that some of us are more fearful that our kids will just turn out okay than we are whether or not they'll give their life to Jesus. Some of us are more fearful that we'll have enough income for a new car and frequent vacations than we are whether or not we're right before the living God. Some of us are more fearful if others are impressed with what we have or can do than whether God is pleased with us. If you fear the wrong things, you will pursue the wrong things. If you fear the right thing, you will pursue the right thing. Jesus is saying, friend. Fear God's judgment more than death. Fear God's judgment more than anything else. Fear God's judgment more than man. One last thing. Jesus gives this heavy warning and then immediately begins to speak about sparrows that are worthless but known by God and the number of hairs upon your head. Now, This passage, this section of the passage, 6 and 7, are often quoted in separation from the the warning that goes before, but they are inseparably connected. Look at what he says, verse 6. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, and not one of them is forgotten before God? why even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. If you know Jesus and you have rightly feared the judgment unto your salvation, then there is, I think, a rejoicing in the perfect judgment of God. Let me explain. Number one, God knows perfectly who you are. So following verse five, which is a very stern warning, you get this what seems like a bit disconnected teaching about sparrows and the number of your hairs on your head and how much God values you. But it's not unrelated teaching, but connected to the fear of God. In fact, another reason to fear God is that nothing escapes the knowledge of God. God knows you perfectly. He knows who you are, where you are, where you've been, all your sin, and perfectly your heart. If he knows the number of hairs upon your head, if he knows every sparrow that falls to the ground, how much more does he know all the intimate details of your life? Nothing about you has escaped the knowledge of God. Verse 6 is not about the value of sparrows. Verse 6 is about the omniscience, in other words, the all-knowing reality of a sovereign God. Sparrows are practically worthless. You can buy five for two pennies, Jesus says. The point there is there, if somebody were to just come up to you and say, hey, can I have a sparrow? You'd say, sure. Some of you in this room don't even bend over to pick up pennies off the ground. I know who you are. Some of you are cheap like me and you'll pick it up. But the point is, the reason why you don't pick up the pennies is because in your mind, it's not worth the effort to reach down and pick it up. Worthless, Jesus says, you can get five sparrows for two pennies. Worthless, nearly free. And Though they may be worthless, not one single sparrow who has ever lived falls to the ground without the knowledge of the living God. And the question is, how much more does God who knows the life of every worthless sparrow, know perfectly every man, woman, and child, intimately in the present, the number of hairs upon your head, and intimately in eternity, the number of your days. No one escapes the perfect knowledge of God. Now, that could be something that causes you fear if you don't know the Lord, because there's no... There's no fooling God. But you see, redemption changes what you fear and what you pursue. So in verse 7, Jesus says that this, is, this, this perfect knowledge of God is reason not for fear because you, are of, because you are more value than many sparrows. You see, in sin, you fear the presence of God and the exposure of your sin. And this fear causes you to pursue what hides your sin. This fear causes you to pursue what separates you from God and his holiness. Now I wanna tell you something. I see it over and over again. When folks who have been walking with the Lord begin to allow sin into their lives, what generally happens pretty quick thereafter is they find every excuse under the sun to be away from God's people and God's church. And the reason for that is if, if your preacher is faithfully preaching the, the Word of God, your Sunday school teacher is faithfully teaching the Word of God, and your godly friends are faithfully living out the Word of God, then all of that is going to be a convicting, exposing reality of the sin in your life. So if you're living in sin today, the last place you want to be is here. The last place you want to go is Sunday school. The last people you want to hang out with is people who are following after and obeying the law of God. In sin, you fear the presence of God. You fear the exposure of your sin. So it causes you to hide your sin and to separate yourself from God and His holiness. But in redemption, the blood of Jesus, you fear the judgment of God, but you also rejoice in the forgiveness of Jesus. And this fear causes you to put away the things of this world, and this joy causes you. To draw near to the presence of God. In in the redemption of Jesus, there is no longer the fear of hell and the wrath of God. In the redemption of Jesus, there is joy that God perfectly knows your heart and perfectly knows that you've been redeemed and draws you closer and closer to Jesus. You may not have ever heard this name before, Harry Truman. Not President Harry Truman, Harry Randall Truman. Harry Randall Truman owned a, an op, and operated a lodge at the base of Mount St. Helen on Spirit Lake. He'd been there for years and years and years. In 1980, he was an older man. He'd been living there for many years. And in 1980, the Mount St. Helens began to show clear signs of volcanic activity. And it was apparent to all those who understood volcanoes that that mountain, that volcano was about to erupt. The Spirit Lake, and Truman's lodge was, was predicted to be directly in the path of the lava flow. And so there was a concerted effort to get everybody that was in danger off and away from the mountain, and repeated attempts were made to get Truman to leave his lodge, but he would not go. Defiant would not go. News agencies came, and. He was joyful and almost braggadocious. You can Google his name today, and you'll find those old newsreels of him sitting on his front porch and in his kitchen and talking about how he's never going to leave and he's going to be right there. The last picture of Harry Truman is him standing on his front porch waving at those who have come one more time to warn him and beg him to leave before the volcano exploded. On May 18th, 18, 1980, Mount St. Helen erupted. And when it did, Harry Truman's lodge was buried under 150 feet of volcanic landslide debris. In fact, the lake that his lodge was built on shifted over. There was such great movement of dirt and land. Harry Truman chose to ignore the warnings and pleas for his safety. He rejected anyone who contradicted his own assessment that he was safe. He looked up at the smoking volcano and arrogantly proclaimed that it was benign and could not hurt him, and it cost him his life. Jonathan Edwards concluded that sermon that I read from earlier with these words. Therefore, let everyone that is out of Christ now awake and fly from the wrath to come. The wrath of Almighty God is now undoubtedly hanging over a great part of this congregation. Let everyone fly out of Sodom, haste and escape for your lives. Look not behind you. Escape to the mountain lest you be consumed. Dear friends, fear the Lord who judges the living and the dead and repent of your sin. Fear the judgment that is to come and believe in faith today on Jesus who died for your sins and for the forgiveness of your sins. Believe on the Son Jesus that God sent because he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever would believe on him should not perish but have eternal life. Thank you for listening to All for the Kingdom, a weekly podcast of my preaching ministry. For more sermons, blog posts, and other related content, go to bensmithsr.org. That's bensmithsr.org. I am the pastor of Central Baptist Church in Waycross, Georgia. I would love for you to join us this coming Sunday at 201 Ava Street here in Waycross. Our morning services begin at 1030 a.m. For more information about Central Baptist, go to cbcwaycross.org. Again, thank you for listening, and until the Lord returns, let us live each moment, all for the King and all for the Kingdom.